Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer. On this podcast, you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. Last Saturday, what with all football having ended, I turned my attention to a household task that I have been putting off for almost a year. I put off singing some songs because I couldn't breathe, and I certainly was not up to this task. I hadn't had the energy for it previously, football or not. But I rallied myself for some spring cleaning and cleaned out our garage. In the process, I came across an enormous storage container filled with old family photographs. How fun. Bryce, our middle son, who's here today, it's his last Sunday before he goes back to base, he's been home for almost a month, he's on leave from his post at Wheeler Army Airfield in Hawaii, and he could not stop himself from going through all the old albums and taking snapshots of the snapshots to load them up to TikTok or Snap or wherever on the interweb such things go when youth are posting things. But I would like to share a few of my favorites. Let me begin here. This is my, this is my beloved grandmother whom I speak of often, and she is, in fact, holding Bryce when he's just a few weeks old. A favorite of mine, two toddlers in one toddler bed. This is George Cooper, Cindy's dad. He's wearing his Dartmouth t-shirt while on vacation here in Destin probably 35 years ago. And here is Cindy as a youngster in Houston, Texas, where she was born. Here is Cindy's all-time favorite picture in our picture album next. And I assure you, this photo will not be recreated anytime soon. Here is one of my favorites, back before Braden was 6'3 and 220. Okay. Yeah. Yes, that's me in a pink leisure suit. Next, here's my beautiful bride on our wedding day, after I tricked her into marrying me. We eloped, you know, very informal, and we have a family history of such things. Our son, Blaze. And his wife, Lily, married late 2020 in a similar fashion, elopement. And Bryce and his fiancée, Leslie Moreno, were married on Tuesday in our living room. 2-22-22. And I'm so glad you're here today, Bryce, because I'm going to quote Bryce McBrayer to you now. Please let everybody know that I am available for receiving wedding gifts for the balance of this week. He did say that, and he's here, so hey, he returns to base on Saturday. Now, he and Leslie will begin adding to our family album and begin to build their own, though they will never have a giant box of pictures in their garage, never. All is digital now, 
and their memories will be on a phone or a hard drive or up in this ethereal cloud. Still, so many moments of their lives will be captured and they will tell their own story. And now, if I just picked one picture from their life, out of the thousands and thousands of snapshots they already have, or if I took just one picture from that great green tub that holds our family photos, or if I took one picture, one single photograph from your life, it would be impossible for that one picture to tell your whole story, right? I mean, I'm more than a kid in a pink leisure suit. I was once. A brief moment, Easter 1976. But you have to look at a few more pictures to figure out how life has gone from there. Each picture tells a story, but not the whole story. Let's apply this thinking, if we could today, to the cross. I've begun this series entitled Crosswords, How the Cross of Jesus Reveals the Love of God. And it's a puzzle to say the least, and I've invited you to dive in and wrestle with it, scribble in the margins, erase and re-enter possible answers, and my premise has been love, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. So whatever is going on, we must understand the cross as an act of love. Scandalous, yes. Foolish by the world's standard. A stumbling block to so many. But it is still love that shapes, motivates, energizes, and explains, for lack of a better word, the cross of Jesus. Love for you, love for the world. If we can't see that love, if all we see is the violence, if all we see is torture, if all we deduce is an act of abuse, that the Father is killing the Son, if all we see is some sort of divine transaction or court scene where punishment is being meted out, I think we may be caught looking at only one image of the cross, which doesn't tell the entire story. And with something so incredible, so epic as the cross, one image will never be enough. So let's expand our view. Let's dig deeper into that old box. Let's see if we can see a more complete picture. To talk about the cross is to talk about sacrifice and suffering and defeat and victory and healing and salvation and reconciliation and forgiveness and justification and all these big and weighty things. And that's a lot like turning a diamond. You know, if you have a, a beautiful diamond, and ladies, if you're wearing one on your hand, you can hold one up to the light coming through the glass today, and depending how you turn it, depends how that light is refracted through it. So the cross can be like that. If we only look at it from one perspective, we never see the other light that shines out of it. It can be a lot like looking at a mountain. I remember standing at the base of Mount McKinley, Denali, years ago in Alaska, and it is frighteningly large. And when you stand there, all you see are the sheer walls of granite in front of you. When you back away from it, you can see a little more, but not the back. When you hike it or climb it, you can put your hands and feet on it. But then you're so close to it, you can't really see anything. And then when you fly over it, you see all of it in its majesty, but then you can't touch it or get close to it. Depends upon the perspective that we take. Maybe the cross could be compared to a giant, beautiful cathedral. 
flying buttresses, high timbers, intricate details, tiny carvings, massive gathering rooms, tiny crooks in the corner, and you can't take it all in in a single view or see it in a single visit. The cross is like an archaeological dig. You start digging into the ground and all you see are the layers stacking up one on the other. And each layer is a little different, but they're all part of the same whole. Is this making any sense? We cannot fix our gaze with one single perspective. And that's what so much of this series is about, is to broaden that perspective and to see that it truly does communicate the love of God. So today, from the church's photo album, we pull the oldest image out that we have. This is Christianity's first attempt to communicate the meaning of the cross. And this image is so old, it is gray and sepia tin type tinted. This explanation emerged before the New Testament was even collected or compiled long before the letters of Paul from which so many of our pictures come were even considered Scripture. And here is your puzzle clue for today. Twelve letters. Have we got that slide? Mick tries and tries, but can't get it. The word is satisfaction. The cross satisfies something, or someone, or some demand. It produced some sort of peace between parties, satisfaction. And our text, Mark 10, 42-45. Jesus called them together and said, them being the disciples. The other nations have rulers. You know that those rulers love to show their power over the people. And their important leaders love to use all their authority. This text was on schedule before the events of this week played out. But it should not be that way among you. Whoever wants to become great among you must serve the rest of you like a servant. Whoever wants to become the first among you must serve all of you like a slave. In the same way, the Son of Man, that's a self-referral statement Jesus is making, Jesus now speaking of Himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom for many people. That last line, He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom. Ransom. Here, using Jesus' words from the oldest Gospel, the Gospel of Mark, we have the oldest theological understanding of the cross. It was a ransom. It satisfied a payment of some sort. Now this word ransom is only used by Jesus here in this statement. And it's duplicated in Matthew's Gospel. And it's not used anywhere else in the New Testament. Variations of the word are used and they're translated a little bit different. Paul uses a variation of this word five times 
It's used once in Acts, it's used once in Hebrews, and once in 1 Peter, and that is it. And in each of those cases, it is translated as redemption. Ransomed by Jesus, redemption by the New Testament writers. And we have some understanding of what this word means, because we've all been to the movies. Right? Someone in some blockbuster movie is always getting themselves abducted. And then the kidnapper calls. Be at the Newark bus station by noon today with a black duffel bag of unmarked bills or the kid gets it. You know, that kind of a movie. It's the same plot over and over again and it sets off all the suspense. Well, they take what? The ransom. They get a ransom note. You pay the ransom fee and everybody gets... never works that way in Hollywood, does it? But that's the idea. It's some sort of transaction here. But in the New Testament, the word is not used that way. The word ransom, used by Jesus, the word redemption, used for the remainder of the New Testament writers, means this, quote, to remove from the marketplace. Jesus is talking about something quite common in His own day, and it was slavery. To remove someone from the marketplace was to take them off the auction block. It was to remove them from being trafficked as a human being. To remove from the marketplace. 25%, by some estimates, up to 40. 25 to 40% of the Roman Empire at the time of Jesus were slaves. How do you keep that kind of empire going without that in ancient times? So slavery is common and it is massive in the first century. And for someone to be ransomed in that day meant that they were in chains, that they were for sale at auction, and someone in the crowd achieves the winning bid, buys them. But rather than taking them as a slave and furthering their misery, the buyer hands them their certificate of freedom and they are liberated. The Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve others and to give His life as a ransom, as liberation for many. And it's the basis of the old African-American slave spiritual, no more auction block for me. No more, no more. Because too many thousand have already gone. Well, thank God we no longer have slavery in our society, though we continue to live in its shadow. Overt slavery has been replaced with something else. Debt. So I want you to think about it along these lines. Imagine that you have allowed yourself to run up a higher than expected credit card balance. I know it's never happened to anyone in this room or anyone listening to this. Now, just making the minimum payment to cover the interest becomes next to impossible. And once you miss that first payment, or if you're late one day, they jack up the interest rates to default levels, which is like 60% or whatever. And now making payments is truly not just hard, it is impossible. And it sets off these chain of events that you can't stop. Your credit score goes into the toilet. Other credit cards you owe begin adjusting their rates. Money becomes more scarce. Then it's your car payment that you can't make. Then it's your mortgage. Your phone is ringing all the time from the collection agencies before A&T cuts your phone off. You're getting nasty letters in the mail. 
It weighs so heavy on you, you can barely function. Your job performance begins to suffer as a result. And you get fired, compounding the problem. You come home and tell your spouse, and he or she says, I told you this would happen. I told you we should never take these risks in the first place. So he or she packs up and leaves. And here you are with all of this debt, a repossessed car, a foreclosed home, a divorce, attorney fees, compounding interest, and there's no way out. That sounds miserable. You can never pay your way out. That is slavery. That is being trapped. And you're just suicidal about it. And imagine now that you go to a friend because you need at least a shoulder to cry on. And you explain to your friend what's going on in your life and your friend says something like this to you. Well, just pull yourself together. You shouldn't be focusing on the negative. You should try to find a way to be positive. You know, we need those people in our life, but sometimes those people just make you so mad when they say something like that. Because the problem with that kind of response is it doesn't help. Because you don't feel hopeless. You are hopeless. You don't feel trapped. You are trapped. You don't feel enslaved. You are enslaved. And what you need is not therapy in that case. What you need is a rescue. What you need is someone to take care of this mess that I have made. Years ago now, I got word of a young lady whose husband had recently died. And this young man had the description, he was just... A hard-working, fantastic young guy, two kids. And he was in a car accident that he recovered from physically. But he suffered a traumatic brain injury. And sometimes when a person suffers that kind of injury, they may appear to recover, but it actually changes their personality if it's severe enough. And that's what happened to this young man. And he became someone that the family didn't know. He, was, he became dark and depressed and violent, and he took his own life. And this young woman lost the love of her life. She lost her partner. She lost the primary breadwinner. She lost the father of her children. And she's left with these two kids. I wish you could have been on the phone with me when I called her and shared with her that my little nonprofit was going to pay off her mortgage. I didn't do it. An anonymous donor heard about her peril and wrote a check. I was just the delivery boy. Well, when I called her the first time, she hung up on me. Wouldn't you? Hi, you don't know me, but I'd like to pay off your mortgage if I could just get your Wells Fargo number. Right. She couldn't believe it. She wouldn't believe it, but when she finally believed it, I thought then the police were going to get involved because they were going to have to go over there and do a well check over the shock. And I love that picture in my mind, stored in my memory banks, in my own little tub of memories of what ransom might look like in this world today. Of what satisfaction might look like. 
Because she was in a position that she would never be able to get out of alone. And someone, in an act of grace, satisfies her most pressing debt. This is Jesus' understanding, His own declaration of what He did at the cross. More than therapeutic words, more than some kind of enlightenment, He understood His actions as having real, redemptive consequences. Somehow, and this will continue to unfold as we decode these other clues and hints and add more pictures to our album, somehow He saw His death as actually dealing with the human condition. Somehow, it sets us free from whatever chains and burdens we are bearing, whether they be self-inflicted or inflicted by life or circumstances or others through no fault of our own. The debt has been paid, satisfied, and we are free because of what Jesus has done. What does that mean practically? I, I'm not sure I know. Because it is so far-reaching. And like Mick Jagger, I try and I try and I try. But I can't quite get satisfied with whatever answer I give. But maybe I don't need an answer. Or at least all the answers. Maybe I just need to learn how to be free. Because I already am. That young woman whose home was paid off, her mortgage satisfied. When she was able to compose herself over the weeks that followed, she could not stop peppering me with questions. How can I pay you back? You can't. Who did this? I'll never tell. How did you find out about me? If I answer that question, you might know who did this. Why me? Why not you? Why not somebody else? I don't know, because grace found you and not somebody else. And after a while, she really got on with raising her boys and enjoying the freedom she had received. I don't think the questions ever stopped, but she learned to live with them, and more importantly, she learned to live. And that's what I'm saying. Because when you receive such a marvelous gift of grace, the only response we can give is not a defined explanation of how it worked, but to respond with thank you. And be free to live the life that Christ has empowered us to live. You have been listening to the podcast home of yours truly, Ronnie McBrayer. You can follow me on Facebook or Twitter, whatever your socialization preference may be. At Ronnie McBrayer will get you there in either case. Visit my website at RonnieMcBrayer.org, and there you can stay up to date. On my speaking schedule, books I have written, projects just over the widening horizon, and yes, you can find out more about me than anyone truly wishes to know. I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for listening.